Well, good morning. It's great to see you here this morning at FTC. It's going to be a great day here at church. And church is always better when we're together. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being on time. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to, like, have a door prize for for the people who get here on time. And then later in the service, I'm going to, like, ask a question. We're going to give out, uh, well, maybe today we'll give out rubber duckies because... It's a day of ducks. But we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're going to start this morning by reading Psalm 111. It says, Praise the Lord. I extol the Lord with all my heart, in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food to those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever. Enacted in faithfulness and righteousness, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much for your wonderful works. And uh, so we're here this morning to worship you. We're here this morning to honor you. We're here this morning to encourage each other and to help each other and to be uh, to grow stronger as a family as we worship you individually, corporately, alone, and together. Be honored by everything we say and do today. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and join me as we recite the Apostles' Creed this morning. And uh, just to get, uh, while you're doing that, give you a heads up. We, we had some new technology this, this uh, put in this week. We have some new projectors. They're brighter. They're, we hope you could see clearer. We're working out some kinks. There are some ghosts in the system, especially the projector on this side. Sometimes it will just disappear. It'll come back. It's okay. We'll figure it out. But uh, I appreciate your patience as we work through that. And um, uh, let's, let's, let's recite the creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Uh, Join us as we worship this morning.
Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your word. Fill us with your power and peace and a love for you. Anoint Jason as he brings the word. God, humble us. We love you and we want you and we need you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a moment and greet somebody this morning. morning. We are glad that you're with us, and for those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. If this is one of your first few weeks with us and we don't know too much about you, or if we haven't met you, we would love if you could scan the QR code in your bulletin to let us know, or you can just head right over to the information center after church. Um, There'll be someone waiting for you there, and there is a gift for you. This is the gift. We don't know what's inside until you get it, but we would love for you to... um, Meet, meet us to, so we can get to know you as well. Um, so make it a priority. Um, go meet our volunteer at the Information Center and um, receive your free gift from us because we are very glad that you are here. Coming up um, soon, next week, is the Gridiron Challenge for Awana. Um, in your bulletin, there are some pictures of last year's Gridiron Challenge. It is our um, annual event where we quiz the kids on their handbook and they play a football game um, in the in the process, so we would love if you would like to join us. See how much the kids have learned halfway through the year. Um, we would love for you to be a spectator. Come cheer on the uh, Red Dragons or the Blue Knights um, for their handbook knowledge. All, our Cubbies, all the way through our sixth graders, our preschool through sixth graders, they all play, um, and it's a fun time to see how much they learn and how excited they get about scripture. Um, which is wonderful. So come cheer them on. Um, This week, or today, there is no youth group. The youth are on a retreat. Um, So we would ask, pray for our youth group. Pray for the leaders, that they would be encouraged. Pray for the kids. They've been there since Friday night, that what they learn, that the new experiences they've experienced, that the people that they meet um, would just serve to deepen their relationship with Christ, that they would come away with something new um, from being away. So they're just up at Tuscarora having a wonderful weekend. Pray for them. And we will get to hear about how they did um, next week. Also, Bible study continues Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock in the cafe. So you are welcome to be there and join that um, group of people. You're, um, they've just started. It's only a couple weeks into Exodus. So join them. And as we thank you for your giving, um, there's a couple things Pastor Jason already mentioned that we have some new projectors. So that's a wonderful new addition. Um, some of us were touring upstairs in the uh, children's church rooms that have been newly painted and stained. Um, and we are so grateful for the ways that you give so that we can um, refresh things around here, that we can make it a welcoming environment for you, for our kids, um, for everyone who comes through these doors. So thank you for your giving 
on the screen are all different ways that you can give. Um, even if you're sitting here and want to just text that number, um, you can do that right from your seat. Um, but we thank you for all the ways that you are faithful. So let's stand together as we continue to, in worship. I read somewhere that the key to excellence and success is a relentless pursuit of the basics. And as a musician, I know that's true. The more you practice your scales and your arpeggios and the things that are kind of dull, doesn't matter if they're dull, they work. Same thing I think is true in, in athletics. You know, uh, a relentless pursuit of those basic things uh, bring, bring you to a point of success. And I'm going to say that worship is similarly, it's similarly true. And what are those basics of worship? I'm going to tell you because I've been saying it over and over again. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks. Those are the basics of worship. That's what the scripture tells us. That's what Paul tells us. And I would encourage you to relentlessly pursue those basics of worship as we continue this morning. Everyone's free. 
pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love for us. Uh, We rejoice in your presence. We thank you for all the good things that come from you. We also thank you that when we're in the midst of the difficulties, we know we're not alone, that you are right there with us. And so we honor you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church. And as they go, I encourage you, the rest of you, to check out this video. I'm the pastor here at FTC, uh, and it, I'm so glad that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. I know a lot of you would rather be outside in the beautiful weather this morning, but uh, this is a great place. The heat is on, and the roof isn't leaking, and uh, we could be dry. And I think my batteries are dying, so I'm going to go ahead and take this, turn this off. I haven't talked to the hand mic in a long time. So if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're here. You are an important and valuable part of our community. I encourage you this morning during service to talk to each other, build community, ask each other questions, debate me in my message even if you want. But uh, church is better when we're together. And so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I hope today that your church experience is a good one. I hope today your church experience is a good one. I can promise you that the fact that you're here is making other people's church experience better. Because church is better when we're together. And so you're making other people's experience better. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, today, today is a great day. Later on today, we'll have a bunch of Awana kids uh, running around. If you don't know what Awana is, you should ask Laura, because Awana is our children's uh, discipleship program that happens on Sunday afternoons. Uh, and it's gonna, it's always an awesome experience and they learn all kinds of Bible verses and they, uh, memorize large portions of scripture. They learn what it is to, to experience Jesus in their life. And so, I encourage you to, to investigate more. If you know a young child who, uh, could, uh, use some help in their learning about Jesus, Awana is a great, uh, way to do that. But before today, the rest of today happens, I just realized I never lit, we never lit the candles this morning. There you go. But before the rest of today happens, we're going to spend a few minutes focusing on lessons from Jesus. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7, as, we, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first of five major blocks of teaching in the book of Matthew designed by Matthew to help readers form and live out or reflect the identity of care and character of Jesus in the world. And so Matthew details this, this long passage and message from Jesus that Jesus talks about a lot of stuff in this. And last week we talked about the Beatitudes. And I, I proposed that the Beatitudes, while they start with the word blessed, 
And certainly the uh, people who, who experience those characteristics or there's attributes are blessed. But to be blessed is to experience and be in right relationship with God. And so what I, I propose that the, change the word blessed to citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Because even before Matthew details the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about Jesus' primary goal is to announce that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so as we listen to the words of Jesus, to think about the, the, how those words impact and tie into the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is talking about, when he talks about the Beatitudes that we talked last week, what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And he does this using tons of hyperlinks to the Old Testament. He's talking to a group of Jewish people, and he's using all kinds of metaphors and tie-ins to what they would have known about Scripture, what they would have known about God. And so uh, in the Beatitudes, there's tons of, of these hyperlinks that ref, re, reflect back to the Old Testament. Well, in today's passage, we're going to look at the next couple of verses, uh, verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5. There's, even, there's a bunch more hyperlinks, and we'll even look at them this morning. Uh, But you can read along with me on the screen. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Jesus proposes that his followers are salt and light in the world. And it's easy to think about uh, these salt and light as clever metaphors. It's actually easier to think of them as these clever metaphors than to spin them off into um, these deep biblical metaphors of the Bible story. It's easy to think about them through practical living experiences than it is to, to tie them into the story of God from the beginning of time. But Jesus in this text is encouraging us, encouraging us to reimagine our role in the world as God's agents of redemption. We tend to think of this passage historically as, um, as describing our roles to be moral influencers in the world. Have you ever known someone who's really, really aware of their own behavior and everyone else's, and even so much so that they might begin to hmm, become really coachy in the way people are supposed to act and what they're supposed to do. These people can be very popular until they're not popular anymore. Sometimes people, we as Christians, we can become really... I don't want to use the word judgy, but we can be a little judgy about the choices that other people make. None of us in this room are like this. But I know that I've met some some of these people just nowhere around here. In other places in my life, I've experienced judgy people. But 
I joke, but to be fair, moral influence and moral influence theory, the idea that, that we as Christians are supposed to make other people behave in the way we think is appropriate, comes very natural to us. Some of us, it comes more natural than others. And so we have a tendency, often with the best interest in mind, the most uh, high purpose in mind, we can become a little bit overly aware of behaviors instead of the heart behind behaviors. Behaviors are important. But Jesus is talking about in this, in this passage, he's calling us to be more than, a sim, more than simply a moral influence in this world. You see, Jesus is calling us to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, he's telling us that we impact the world and we can impact our circles in Ways that reflect God's light into the world. Well, what is, and so as Jesus talks about what it means to be a citizen of, of the kingdom of heaven, and he uses salt and light as metaphors here, he's using biblical history to point to what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. To be, a, to be a citizen, to find out what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, starts all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and you can read with me on the screen behind me. It says, then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created humanity to be his presence and reflection in the world. I don't like to fish. My big problem with going fishing is when you catch the fish, you've got to touch it. And I find that to be disgusting. But Genesis 1 clarifies a difference between me and the fish. I bear his image, God's image, not the fish's. The fish does not bear God's image. And so God created the God, the king of the universe, the king of the kingdom of heaven, put his image on me and said, you will be my ruler in this area. It's not just that we cohabitate this earth with the animals. We bear his image in this world. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Go on, Exodus. So we started in Genesis. We'll move to Exodus. Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the part of the passage. God's calling Moses to lead Israel. And in the course of this conversation, he tells Moses that Israel is a chosen people. That among humanity, Israel is to be a a nation of priests and kings, if you will, who reflect the kingdom of God, the rules, the way of living, the attributes of the kingdom of God in the world. God has a purpose. To be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven means to be different. I'm different than the fish. I'd like to tell you I'm different than the cow, but I won't make any fat jokes. Psalm 8, 3 through 6. The Psalm of David says, When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory. And honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. In God's grand design, He has chosen to put us in dominion over the earth. It's not me, it's the Bible. In God's grand design, he has made us to rule over the land. Now, we're supposed to be good stewards of that which he called us to rule over. The other day, I'll share with you one of my pet peeves. Half drunken water bottles drive me nuts. I hate it. I hate them. I typically don't make this mistake because I drink a ton of water. But sometimes other people in my car, we won't name them, but I'm guessing you know that they're younger than me. My kids. And they'll leave half drunk water bottles in the car for long periods of time. And now the water's spoiled. At least in my own head. And so a lot of times in it, I will dump these water bottles out. Sometimes as I'm driving. And this week... I was, I was driving along, and I was emptying a water bottle, and I dropped it. And I littered. And it really bothered me. Because I'm, not, I'm supposed to take good care of the earth. It didn't bother me enough to stop, let me be honest. But we're supposed to take good care of that which God has stewarded us over, has called us to rule over. We shouldn't abuse the earth. We should care for it. It's a creation of the Creator. We should care for it in a way that He cares for us. But He has called us to rule over it. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through You are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. When Jesus says that we're to be salt and light in this world, he's calling us to more than just be moral influencers. He's calling us to live in our world as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. People who understand that we are kings and queens, princes and princesses. Not in a way that we get a princess house. But in a way that we carry the name of the Lord with us and speak on his behalf. We are reflections of God in this world. And so the world should be influenced and impacted by us the way it's impacted and influenced by salt and by light. All throughout scripture, we find that citizens of heaven... We find that as citizens of heaven, we are children of God. And because we're his children, God has declared in his plan. Sometimes I find this to be terribly inefficient. But in his plan, he's chosen, he's declared us to be priests and kings on his behalf in this world. When you look at the role of priests and the role kings play in God's kingdom especially in the book of Revelation, you see that God's people will be mediating and ruling in the world that is God's kingdom. In the world to come, God's people will be people of influence in that world. They will mediate and rule in the future. But God's kingdom isn't just about the future. If it's our role to rule and mediate in the future, then it should be our role to mediate and rule now. We should live. The conclusion to to history leads us to a powerful and practical truth in life. We are to mediate and rule in light of the task we will be assigned in the kingdom. Our mediating and rule roles are done in Christ. In Christ we are assigned a role. And salt and light are dimensions of that role. You can walk in confidence in your life knowing that God has called you to be his influence, his agent in this world. You're not a mistake. doesn't matter what your parents say. You're not a mistake. doesn't matter what the experience of your birth was. God knew about you long before you ever existed and had a purpose and a plan for you to be his agent in this world. We talked last week about people who, who mourn and who are heartbroken when they realize that God's purposes for his people aren't being carried out. That should break our hearts. But it should challenge us to be the agent God has called us to be. So let's, let's look at salt and light from that perspective. Both salt and light are images for impact on something else. Salt, for instance, impacts a lot of things. But for instance, let's say it impacts meat. At least in the first century Palestine, that would have been a, a major role of salt. While light impacts darkness. Um, while specific... The specific sort of impact may not always be clear. Being salt and light in the world impacts the world through biblical teaching and behavioral witness. When looked at how they function, salt and light 
their statements might be more effectively said that rather than you are the salt of the earth, it might be better said that you salt the earth. You light the world. If you look up this morning, you'll notice that all of the light bulbs in the sections that are turned on are on. That wasn't the case as of Thursday. And we threw a ladder up to the top of the building, and not me went up. Gary went up and changed a bunch of light bulbs. And uh, when he did that, it was brighter in here. When he did that, I thought he was nuts, because those lights are high. And the ladder that he used to climb up there wiggles. But he's up there, and he's changing lights, and when we clock them on, suddenly areas of the sanctuary that are dark, that we have to light with other things, become light. And it's prettier. It's more welcoming. It makes a better especially for people who haven't been here before, it makes a more welcoming uh, area or environment. Salt and light may change their environments. You salt the earth. Let's, let's talk about that. Us pastors, we like, we like this passage. The truth is that, that scholars and pastors and, and theolo- theology students and readers, we've worked really hard. We've worked ourselves into pretzels for centuries to try to fit our idea of what this passage means into what we want it to be. I don't know if you've ever done this, but sometimes some people, all of us, can look at Scripture and find a way for it to fit what we want it to mean. And so we've, we've sometimes taken this passage and we've said, we've described what it really means for people who follow Jesus to be salty. But if you look at it from a first century context and you talk about the people that Jesus is talking to and you think about the people that Matthew is writing to, salt is a little different than our experience with it. Some of us like salt. I like salt. I like putting salt in my soup. Sometimes people judge me because I will put salt on food before I eat it. Not all food, but some food, especially soup. I don't know why. I just like it on my soup. But salt, in their world, salt meant so much more than just making our soup taste better. Salt was obtained from the shores of the Dead Sea. It was a locally sourced item. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll find many agencies for salt. Salt was used in covenant sacrifice. Salt purified things. Salt flavored and seasoned things. You can find this in a bunch of passages. Salt was a preservative. For people in first century Palestine, salt was a necessity of life. And furthermore, when you think about the theme 
of the Beatitudes and how salt is translated throughout Scripture, you find that there is this connection between salt and peace and friendship. We're called to see that we have powers uh, in various ways to influence our communities. We as salters, we as salty people, we should impact and influence our community. When you don't put salt in something that's supposed to have salt, and then you try to eat it, you know there's not salt. When you add something, salt, to something that doesn't have salt, and you eat it, you know something's changed. Because there is an immediate impact. We should live in the world that when people know us, there's an immediate impact on our circle, on our relationship, on our influence in our environment that's both as a church if we as a church are in washington and washington and the valley that we live in is not even remotely impacted by our existence we are we have salt we are salt that's lost its saltiness People should know we're here because we impact and add flavor and seasoning and preserve the ways of God in this area. That's what it means to have salt. We're wise to understand that this metaphor, this idea of saltiness, we should not narrow it down to just one sense. We should look at it as this metaphor for the, if you go back to that, that slide of all the things that Saul did in first, we should have all of us, all of those things should help us influence um, so that we don't lose the possibility of diminishing our influence. We'll come back to, maybe we'll come back to lose its saltiness in just a second. But I think you get the point that as salt, as being salty people, we should impact People should know we're around. But you don't just salt the earth. You enlighten the world. And, and with this idea of light, Jesus explores three different metaphors for, that illustrate light impacting darkness. He talks about a city on a hill. He talks about a lamp hidden under a bowl. And then he uses light as a metaphor for good works. Lights are designed to shine. They're not to be hidden. In the Bible and in the ancient world, light is connected to knowledge and to truth and to revelation and to love. It was not uncommon in the Jewish world to use the word light for people who passed on the light of God to others. A good example of that is found in Daniel chapter 12. It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Joy and I were having dinner with some friends last night over in in Easton. And during the course of the conversation, it turned to uh, movies and shows that we all like to watch. And the people we were having 
um, dinner with were talking about, um, oh, come on, don't. Oh, there's a movie recently about a guy who, it's not Heartbreak Ridge, but it's something like that. And it just slipped my mind. Really, just slipped my mind. I worked all morning on this, using this story, and now it's gone. It's the story of a guy, I'm sure you, some of you have seen the movie, it's the story of the guy who refused, in world, who enlisted in World War II, but you wouldn't use a weapon because of his um, uh, moral uh, objection to firing a gun. And so he becomes a medic, and he's in the Battle of Okinawa, um, where I found out there, uh, there's uh, 15,000 U.S. soldiers died. In the middle of a particularly heavy gunfire field in Okinawa, uh, without firing a weapon, he goes and saves 75 people, back and forth, down a ridge. Uh, the movie has ridge in it, but um, Hacksaw Ridge, there it is. The story, it's the story of this young man who really, because he won't fire a gun, gets made fun of over and over in, by his co-soldiers, by his peers. And it's not until he saves these guys on the battlefield that they win, that he wins their respect. And he becomes the first person to ever win the Medal of Honor who didn't shoot a gun. And 75 years later, after this, this event, people are still talking about him. And we're sitting at dinner with our friends last night, and they're talking about how they, how they are so inspired by this guy. And I haven't seen the movie, and they're like, you've got to watch the movie. And then I find out there's a documentary, and now I'm in, because I'm all about documentary. But this gentleman was so severe in his convictions that he didn't let... Any situation changed what he believed. And he lived out in his, his belief in such a way that the people around him couldn't help but take notice. And at first, they took notice to make fun of him. And then they took notice because he saved them. And their life was better because he lived his life in a way that reflected his understanding of, the, of being a citizen of heaven. We light the world. We expose the world. Sometimes light exposes things that aren't good. But light exposes darkness and it impacts it in such a way that people can find direction. People can find hope. The text's implication is that the light of the world is not a uh, genetic metaphor for moral influence in our local context, but that it actually anticipates our mission. Jesus is pointing to the Great Commission when the gospel will be taken beyond the land of Israel into the whole world. And his concern is with the inevitable impact of light and darkness. As a town full of lights cannot be hidden. And as, a, as people don't light a candle and put it under a bowl so that its light can be snuffed out or diminished, we as disciples must live in such a way that our witness is not hidden or diminished. 
And that it should be bright enough, it should be different enough. We should be different enough that people notice something different in us and about us. That's a heavy, heavy message. It's not easy to to think about, and it can become burdensome. And often throughout history, the idea of being different has caused us to think that we have to make this happen on our own. But the reality is, as citizens of heaven who are in communication with God, it's the Holy Spirit's impact on us that causes us to change the way we live. And when we change the way we live and we don't do things that come natural, people notice. I was at a basketball game the other night. And um, the other team, the team I wasn't rooting for, had a three-on-zero fast break, which meant there were three kids from the other team and nobody at playing defense. And one of the kids is a senior. And so far in that game, he had had roughly 30 points. The team I was rooting for didn't have 30 points. This kid's dominating the game. And one of the other kids has the ball. And they're up by a lot. Three on nothing. nothing. And the kid who has the ball passes it to the senior. And he gets more points. And their coach calls timeout. First of all, when you're winning by a lot and you call timeout, it's immediately noticeable. The coach comes out to the thing, and he tells the, everybody else on the, in his team to start clapping for the kid who just passed up free points. Because in his, mo- in his eyes, what he saw was there was a kid who could have got something for himself, but he gave it up for the betterment of his teammate. And that should be celebrated. It should be taught. It should be noticed. It should be exemplified. For that coach on that night, that was the lesson that was more important than the game. Look out for the betterment of your teammates more than yourself. When that kid did that, I noticed it. Because it was different. Because I was a basketball player, and I am definitely taking that shot myself. I turned to the guy sitting next to me. I said, that guy's, that other kid must be chasing a thousand points or something. Because why else would he pass it? And then the, but then I watched the coach notice it too and make a teaching point out of it. When we live as light in the world, it should be noticeable to the point that people have to call time out and say, there's something different that just happened right here. Remember God's covenant with Abraham? God said that through his family, the whole world would be blessed. Genesis 12.3 says, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Jesus says this light will be shown through good deeds. He exhorts his disciples to be the people of God and the people who do good works in a manner that draw attention and glory to God the Father. Peter would later write something similar to the impact of good works in 1 Peter, 12, 11, uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that they accuse you of, that, they, that though they accuse you of 
doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven when he visits us. Jesus says that the good things that we do, the way we live differently, will be a light exposing the way of living God's kingdom in the world. And when he does that, he talks about being noticed. And and we may get here in a few weeks. In chapter 6, he talks about doing good deeds when no one notices. In fact, he says, if you do good deeds, do good deeds in front of people, it's not, it's not good. But here in chapter 5, he says, do good deeds in such a way that they see your, your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying is, intent matters. We live in such a way as kingdoms of God, a kingdom of the citizens of heaven to honor God, not draw honor for ourselves. We do good deeds not to be noticed. Uh, we do good deeds to be noticed, but not to receive praise. We deflect the praise to God. There's a difference between doing something to be noticed and congratulated by others as, as someone who is righteous or pious. We're really good at that, right? Oh, you've been such a blessing. Oh, that's, that's all God, but thank you so much. You should tell me more. Then really understand, there's a difference between that and really understanding that you're doing it all as worship unto God. As a follower of Jesus, we're summoned into a mission on behalf of and for God in this world. Salt and light both evoke the impact a follower of Jesus has on others. Salt impacts several things. Light impacts darkness. Citizens of kingdom, of God's kingdom impact the lives of others in a positive manner. You have a mission. We have a mission. We're here to impact the world. You have a mission. You're here to impact the world for God's kingdom. In the grand plan of God, in the grand unveiling of his plan of redemption over all of creation, God saw you as a person he wanted to use to impact that process. I don't know how you feel about yourself. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I don't know if the world is any saltier because of me. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, boy, do I make the world salty in a whole different way. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I feel like I live in darkness and I'm not exposing anything. You have a mission. Before you were ever even thought about as a human, God thought about you. And for this time, right now, designed that you are the person he wants to impact your circle of influence with for his kingdom. And so while you may live with a lack of confidence of who you are and what, and, and, and what you bring to the table... God has no lack of confidence in who you are or what you bring to the table. He's asking you to bring his Holy Spirit into your circle so that he can change the world through you. Being salt and light doesn't mean you just bring a little flavor. It means you have a mission. Here at FTC, our our mission statement is to make a measurable difference for God's kingdom. 
the church, the big C church, every church, the whole church, all the churches together have a mission to reflect God's kingdom in this world. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And over at the chapel, at the Methodist church down the street, Presbyterian church, the church our friends last night are at this morning teaching Sunday school. We all together, all corporately, have, so we have some disagreements on the way we view some things, but we're working together to reflect God's light in the world. But it's not just the church. It's this church has a calling and a mission to reflect God's light in the world. And you also have a calling to reflect God's light in the world. We should be missional in everything we do and in our very being. As a church, we should be outreach-oriented. As a people, we should be outreach and missions-minded. Our mission, God's mission for you, is way bigger than your circle you live in right now. His plan for you is bigger than you could ever imagine. He's called you to be salt and light in a world that needs flavor, needs uh, preservatives, and needs the light of Jesus to be exposed in their hearts. Last thing I would say this morning is this mission is not like a mission impossible. You've seen either the old show or the new movies. In the new movies, Tom Cruise gets a tape cassette. And they play it, and and the the person in charge, who's usually a bad guy, sorry to give you a spoiler, says, your mission, should you choose to accept it? There's no choosing whether to accept it in God's kingdom. When you are a citizen of God's kingdom, the Holy Spirit works through you to be salt and light in the world. So, about 60 years ago, in his inaugural address, 60, almost 65 years ago now, John F. Kennedy said, ask not what you can do for your country, or what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He was modeling that off of a, of a bigger, bigger story. You see, oftentimes we come to God, especially in moments of, of need, and we ask God for what we need from him. If, if we're honest, a majority of our prayer life is often request-based. God's not intimidated by that. He's not scared of it. But God is so much bigger than just what he can offer you. And his blessings and his providence and his plan for you is so much bigger than just answering your prayer for the thing you need. See, he wants you to be his agent in the world. I once interned for a man who, when he came to Christ, he heard that people, if they heard the name Jesus, they would be saved. And he lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and so he walked down to uh, the red light district in Charlotte, for whatever that's for, and he just walked down the street and he shouted Jesus at people. Jesus! Thinking, stakingly, that he was just saving them. And like nine people gave their heart to Jesus that day. Because he decided in that moment, I'll be an agent. 
And we, when we commit to being God's agents, things we never expect to happen will happen because he brings impact and influence into our world in a way that we just can't do it on our own. So what's the call to action today? How do I do this? How do I be salt and light in the world? First, you have to be willing to be obedient and ask Jesus to call you and to send you and to put you in places where he think he's called you to be the person of impact. Sometimes that's easy. The dinner table or in the car. And sometimes it's not because he might call you to a place you don't want to go. There's a good chance he'll work outside your comfort zone. But when he does, the impact of your life on the lives of others is unquestionable. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, help us to see that your call that we be sought and light in the world is so much bigger than a flavor and a switch. Help us to see that it's as citizens of your kingdom, as agents of you in this world, that we can walk in confidence, in assurance, in purpose, and in calling to reflect you in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. I still need the microphone. I was going to turn it off. We're going to share communion together this morning. As I do, I'm going to invite uh, Doc to come and um, serve. Laura, would you come and, and serve this morning? We share communion at the end of each service, and, uh, or most of our services, and you're invited to join us. We just simply ask that you play follow the leader to the front and, receive, and take the communion elements from um, our elders and return to your seat. So stand and find your way. If you're not comfortable this morning, you don't need to, to do that. And if you're not able to walk forward, we'll find someone to bring the elements to you. Scripture teaches that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was having dinner with his disciples. And he told them that he took the bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And he told them that it was his body that was broken for them. 
that when they came back to that meal, they should remember him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for us. We remember you and honor you. Would you take the bread? It, says in the, it goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you for the redemption of your blood and the, uh, and the fact that it'll, it, your sacrifice here and your blood ushers us, invites us into a covenant with you that allows us to be your agent in the world. Before we were even in our mother's womb, you knew us. And you knit us together to carry out your mission in this world. And so this week, I pray that we would be missional. That we would be salt and light. That our circles of influence would be impacted. Simply by the way we live out the attributes of your kingdom. Would you take the cup? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would work in us in such a way that others around us would notice 